Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 106. It's Friday, my uh, up, and going? here's Welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 106 in stereo. You get to hear it twice. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny as I tried this time, I tried muting it before it started and there's just no way to do it. It's the dumbest thing ever. Anyways, uh, let's, uh, let's get started. Let's see what's going on. Um, there is, I have some stuff on my agenda to talk about. We have some questions to do. I had a crazy week. I hope your guys' week was good. Mine was pretty busy and it will probably stay that way for just a little while. But the good news is eventually, um, it will, uh, it will, I'll be able to, uh, kind of enjoy the fruits of my labor, so to speak. Uh, let's see what we got going on. Uh, I see a bunch of guys are already chatting up and talking and, uh, maybe I'll hit some of the announcements first. Um, yeah, I'll do the announcements first because they're not that exciting. Uh, just if you guys follow me on Instagram or Facebook, uh, then you probably already know this and I thought it was worth sharing is um, that we did uh, pick packs, sticker and pick packs. So I put a link in the description to Reverb. Uh, you guys had asked about picks and, uh, and stickers. We had stickers before we ran out. Now we have them with picks. I'm just letting you guys know about that. And something I didn't actually make an announcement about, but you guys are pretty fast on it. Uh, there's, I don't want to say new shirts, but there's a new variety of shirts. Um, uh, the store is being revamped. And what's funny was I uh, uh, saw, I think on Tuesday, it got revamped on Tuesday. Whatever it is, you guys are awesome because whatever you guys picked up on, uh, I saw that all of a sudden a lot of shirts got sold and all the different ones and stuff. So I'm just letting you know, I put the links down below. Uh, although I want to let you guys know on the shirt thing. Um, it's funny. I was, I love it when I'm told not to do something and then I decided to do it anyways. I was told not to tell anybody yet. So I'm not going to tell you officially, but unofficially there's a new logo, different logo, not new, like replacing logo, uh, something that we've been working on for, for a long time. It comes out April It'll be like next episode or something like that. It comes out in a couple weeks. So I'm just telling you that. So if you're thinking about getting a shirt, I'm not telling you to go get a shirt if, um, you know, if you're being aware of the fact there might be a new one. I'm just letting you know. Uh, and uh, all right. Uh, that's it. Let's get on to some questions and see what's going on with the gear community. Um, see what you have. Hold on a second. Let me make sure all my screens are set up correctly. Um, and Jeff just said, Hey, enjoying the channel since November 14th. Stay awesome. I, yeah, it's November 14th. Is that the first 2014? Hmm. 2014. I'm trying to remember when the first time we put a video out. So it's 2019. It's been four years since the first video. The first video was four years ago, like just a couple months. So if you're since November, 2014, you're before there was a YouTube channel. You were, uh, probably, uh, on Facebook with me. Cause I think the very first video I put on YouTube was January of 2000. It might've been 14, right? Right. It was four years ago. So, cause I know because I can tell you since I, what they call monetize your channel where you switch over, I monetize my channel. It's barely been three years. So, um, and uh, there, there you go. So that tells you how old the channel is. But that's awesome. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. Uh, some of you, some, of, I love it when some of you guys talk about some of the Facebook stuff. Because before I was doing YouTube, I was doing Facebook. I'm only on the YouTube, the YouTube, it, because I was posting, put, I was posting stuff on Facebook, and somebody asked me if I would put it on YouTube so they could download it. So I did. 
and then the rest was history. So, uh, Tony Noon says, I love pick wooden pick guards. Why aren't they more popular? Uh, my guess is because they wear, you know what I mean? They get chipped up and stuff. The uh, And expense, you know, people like pick guards. I mean, let's be honest, a nice plastic pick card is like 40, 50 bucks now, which is pretty crazy. So I'm sure a lot of people don't want to spend more for wooden pick cards. I agree with you. I think a lot of them are really cool. I'm trying to think if I have any guitars with wooden pick cards on them. And I think they're all plastic. Um, I have one guitar with a metal pick card, but I think everything else is a wooden pick or is a plastic pick card. So probably just cost. Who knows? I've seen them though. Uh, what else do we got? We got, Hey, I just want to shout out Colin just got a new Sterling music man access. Yeah. You know, that's, I bought that Petrucci, uh, music man. And I kind of wish I would have got the access instead looking back. It was, I don't want to say mistake. Cause I like the Petrucci guitar a lot, but I think the access is, uh, was, was more in, in line with what I wanted at the time. And, uh, but I got kind of like, excited about the the color i found of that guitar because it was a used guitar and i like the piezo system uh it was really great or piazzo system or pzo system or however you guys want to say it okay so okay so hey don how's it going i thank you don uh you post some really nice comments on my instagram the other day i really appreciate it um don says what what things should i check for when i have notes that choke out when I do bends, uh, that is mostly going to be because of the bridge. Um, what's happening is, is I uh, use this piece of paper as an example. The podcast people will probably hate this, but I'll kind of describe what I'm, I'm going to write. Um, you're going to have a fretboard and instead of being perfectly flat, like a straight line, it's going to be like a, a let's say a nine and a half inch radius, a little bit like that, or really extreme, like a seven and a quarter. That's probably too extreme, but you get the idea, but see how it's just a little bit of a, and the strings, when you set the strings, they're going to look like this. And now I'm drawing six dots in a row and they're straight so in theory if these were all flat so in other words your bridge was radius flat what happens when you bend let's say the b string right here as you bend it this way it kind of runs around like a beach hitting the or like a boat hitting the beach so if you're choking out when you're bending what happens is is you have to kind of address that you have to make sure that your clearance is appropriate so that's kind of a part of a good setup so sounds like you just need a good setup you might have a high fret always 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 possible you could check that i have a video where you can check it with a credit card or you know a fret rocker um i prefer a fret rocker but if you don't have one credit cards work any kind of flat hard surface that you can rock on the frets um and then make sure your fretboard is radius correctly so if that should uh should help you diagnose the problem. And like I said, I think diagnosing things is more important sometimes than fixing them because I, I, I hope you guys take this uh, to heart. I think everyone should learn to diagnose their instrument because at the very least you can talk to a repair person or a luthier instead of with this uh, general, like, Hey, it's making this sound or it's doing this. You can actually say, this is what I think is wrong. And uh, it helps, it helps both you guys communicate better. So, so yeah, Don, I, I would think that your fret, your radius on your bridge is not set correctly or the action is just too low. And that also depicts on where the bend is ish, the, happening. The problem is, but I'm guessing if you're bending the string, you're not bending it at like the second fret, but I could be wrong. Uh, five finger full price says, uh, are alpha pots any good in general? Alpha pots are probably the most commonly known brand of 
potentiometers that I see used uh, when you, you know, and I've, I've, I've gotten the heat for this in the past in the, God, we're talking about like the early couple dozen of these live shows where I said, I'm not a fan of alpha pots. And um, what I will say this, I, as brands go, where you talking about burns potentiometers or whatever alpha is my least favored brand of potentiometer but i think it's still better than the no name stuff that you you get in guitars so um are they any good i will tell you this they are trusted in some of the most expensive gear on the planet uh there is you know i don't think they're they're great by any means but i mean i'd be I would I mean I would be misleading you if I didn't let, let you know that a lot of times when you open up amplifiers and guitars of all price ranges, including high end stuff, there's going to be alpha pots in there. Um, so I say good enough. That's my experience, but not my favorite. So when I'm buying aftermarket potentiometers uh, for guitars, I will buy something like a Bourne's potentiometer, something I I like a little better. Um, but uh, alpha pots are fine. Okay. Uh, what else do we got? Let's see what we got. Um, hold on just a couple, couple questions. I'm scanning over. Okay. I, I don't know what the question is, but it's long and I want to read it because I saw, saw something about their boss. It says, Scott Miller says, Hey Phil, my boss sold me his 2016 Gibson SG with three sets of pickups, including the original mini humbuckers, a set of bare knuckle P90s, and a set of DiMaggio DiMaggio's for 350 steel of the week. Yeah, yeah. And notice uh, exclamation mark, not question mark. Yeah, definitely steel of the week. Uh, that's a good deal for a Gibson SG with the pickups. I mean, the pickups, all those pickups sound like they're worth 350 bucks. So good deal for sure. He's a, he's, it's good, right? Now you don't have to worry. You've got a good relationship with your boss still <laughs> versus, versus if he took advantage. Um, oh, here's a good question. AFMDQ says, Hey, Phil, love the channel. What do you think of the supersonic 60 combo? Uh, what's a good price? The 60, uh, the, the supersonic 60 combo. I have the 22. I had the 60 combo. I like the combo. I did not like the Supersonic 60 head because the head didn't have reverb. The combo does. And the, the Supersonic 22 combo oh, and head both have reverb. But the uh, Supersonic 20, or sorry, Supersonic uh, uh, 60 combo, I thought was a great amp. I prefer, and I can't tell you exactly why, but I just do. Uh, I, I prefer the 22's clean channel to the 60. I don't know what that is. Um, you know, I AB'd them and AB'd them. And for some reason, even though, you know, Logic says the the uh, 60 watt amplifier having more headroom, the cleaner should sound better. But I really enjoyed the 22s clean a little bit better. The gain side, though, I liked them both. Probably preferred the 60 over the 22. And I really like the fact that the 60 has the cool option, in my opinion, which is on the effects loop, you have an input and output uh, control so that you can put a just a little six inch jumper cable in there, put it in your effects loop, and use that as uh, something like a, uh, you've seen a video where I use a, a, a volume pedal doing the same thing in the effects loop, it'll do the same thing. You can kind of turn the master up on the amp and use those uh, those controls on the effects loop to, I don't want to say attenuate, that's not the right terminology for what we're doing, but at least kind of run the amp a little hotter and get a little better sound at a lower volume. So there you go. But also uh, you asked about what's a good deal. I don't know what a good deal is, but I will tell you this. I usually see the 60s going for less than the 22s. You know, you, 
you find that being real common now. I see it with everything. 100 watt amplifiers are selling for less than 50 watt amplifiers. Uh, and I think the 60 watt combo for uh, supersonic is no exception. I've seen them used for less than I've seen the 22s. And the other thing I like about the 60, which, so this is something to point out on my supersonic 22, I have a vintage 30 in there, uh, selection, which is not what comes with the 22, but it is what comes with the 60. So be aware of that. That's my, that's the speaker of choice for me. <laughs> Jordan Yucca says, Hey, Phil, what's your thoughts on the Digitech whammy? Um, you know, the whammy pedal for me is always fell into the same uh, category of things I've bought uh too many times and never kept i don't currently own a whammy pedal i have owned at least three of them i know i did the the whammy four and the whammy five uh and it's i think it's cool that's why i bought them but i never use them i think you have to have a purpose for them and i just don't and so what happens with me is on the tc's tc quintessence pedal uh i have a uh a um uh, what do you call it? A tone print. There's a film ignite tone print uh, called the Nerd Whammy, and I I made it with TC that I can just download there. So for a whammy pedal, I use the TC pedal because it's just easy and fast. So uh, if also on a side note, for the amount of stuff I would use a whammy pedal for, I wouldn't own the big whammy, even though I think it's really cool. I would get their little mini whammy. Uh, they have a mini pedal that just you step on it, kind of does that. But again, you have to have a use for it. So I think the Digitech whammy pedal. If you have a use for it, I think it's a cool pedal, man. It's one of the most interesting pedals on the market because it's it's got so many great songs have it it's a cool unit unique interesting kind of uh effect unit by far you know what i mean just out there and different but my problem is i always get one and never use it and if i if i don't use stuff after a while i just find a need to cycle it out uh, okay what else do we got uh cameron wants to know hey phil when you're picking two different pickups for a guitar how can you tell if the if they pair uh you know together well um well for me it's always been trial and error uh, i don't have a, a a cool way of saying oh yeah this is how i do it i i found trial and error and i've decided for me pickups and strings have something in common and the idea that i i like to say strings pick the guitar that's it that's not, you know not the player so um all my guitars have different kinds of strings i use different brands of strings and different gauges of strings depending on what i'm doing uh because it like what works for the guitar right now and i think pickups work the same way too you know what i mean sometimes when you're pairing pickups you, you know you never know what's going to work together really well so you have to kind of experiment but you do your best to kind of guess what you think works and hope that you get close but i will tell you this the best advice i can give you when you're trying new pickups or you're trying to put new pickups in your guitars uh definitely definitely make sure you understand what pickups are in your guitar right now does it make sense this is where i think the biggest mistake happens every time with players they just buy new pickups for their guitar and they don't really kind of acknowledge what was wrong or what is in the guitar now so definitely find out what's the output of those pickups what kind of magnets in those pickups you know get to know your current pickups that's where the new year gear came from the know your gear became before you try new gear make sure you fully understand the gear you have and uh and that was the kind of the premise behind that whole concept it wasn't about you know knowing everything or anything close to that it was about just making sure that before we move on right before you buy that next amp did you really really get to know your last amp fully you know and very well and um and uh, there's probably a downfall to that philosophy too i'm sure but uh that's what i always caution everybody about you know and the reason that's important to me is because in my 
my uh, you know kind of journey with this so many times if i take a step back because i changed out a pickup or a pedal or an amp or a guitar i changed something out to something that i thought was better just to find out that the thing i originally had was probably better if i would have spent some more time with it or if i would have got to know it a little better so sometimes you just got to make sure you know know your gear is that is that cliche or what <laughs> okay uh Okay, what else do we got? Uh, James wants you all to know that you can hit the like button. That's pretty cool too. You can hit the thumbs up button if you like. Every time you hit the thumbs up button, I get a thumbs up. <laughs> so, um, Eric Jackson, not Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson wants to, uh, Eric Johnson. Eric Jackson wants to know, uh, what's my view on stainless steel frets over others? I have stainless steel frets on a couple guitars. I personally could care less. Uh, the I know stainless, I, I, I read all the stuff about stainless being a better product, and of course it's harder and it lasts longer. And uh, me, I've always felt that there's a weird, not a tone to stainless, but a kind of reaction thing. It feels very quick reactionary. In other words, when you hit the notes, it feels like the attack is very quick. Um, that could be psychology because I, I always kind of allow myself that little room to say, if you gave me a guitar with stainless steel frets, could I, could I identify that? And how much of that is the guitar? Because like, for example, one of the guitars that I have stainless on is Parker. It's going to have a very different feel. Um, but I've never, and so the reason I say that is I like them. If they came on a guitar, I don't care. I'm like, well, cool, you know, stainless steel frets. But I have never had a compulsion ever in my life, not once, to refret guitars with stainless steel frets. Even though I have some guitars with stainless steels and I think, oh, these are great. I've never just just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, you know, and put it on the guitars. The expense really has never made, uh, it's never, nothing justifiable for that expense because that's a lot of money. But it's cool now that they're coming on all the lower price guitars now. Okay. Uh, hold on a second. You guys got a bunch of questions. Let me get to a pen question. There's a pen one real quick. Hold on. Here we go. Uh, Rock and Roll Bruno said, just tip in my guitar tender. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I always like the tip jar. Thank you so much. Um, now the next question is from 10 man 28 says, Hey, Phil, if I were to take off an, an aftermarket strap, strap locks and knobs on my basically new Ibanez, I'm confused. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to get to the sense of what you're asking. You want to know if you take off the aftermarket strap logs and knobs off your, off your Ibanez, would Ibanez work a deal? For the new 10 man i'm a little lost i'm gonna come back to it if i can try to come back to that one that one gets me a little little twisted up i think are you asking does it oh here's what i'll try i'll give you a shot at it. it says um basically if you take off the components off the guitar what ivan is you know you mean would they give you a discount i don't think that if that's the question the answer is probably no not that i've ever seen but we'll come back to it. Uh, Jay Will says, when I go to concerts, I see amps on stage, but I hear guitar sounds coming from the venue speakers. Am I hearing the amps? Uh, can you explain this? Uh, yeah, in that case, there's a couple things that are interesting about live shows and stuff when you're at venues. You know, if you stay close to stage, I, a lot of my friends like to go close to a stage when they're at a show. I 
don't prefer that. I hate it actually, because when we stand close, the closer we stand to the stage, the more of the stage volume I get. So I get a lot of the guitar and I don't get the mix. I like to hear it mixed perfectly. Like I like to hear the drums, the vocals, the, the bass, the guitars, everything mixed in a perfect mix. So I like to actually try to find the sweet spot in the room where the PA and everything sounds fantastic. That's my kind of thing. I like that more than let's say being just a little closer to the artist I like, but in your, in your question, um, you know, what are you listening to? Well, I, here's the thing, depending on where you stay in the room, you are getting a different mix. I mean, it's just the reality of it, especially if there's amps on stage. So if you're hearing it through the PA, it is different. And if you hear it through the, the guitar speaker, it's different. Uh, and I prefer to hear it through the PA speaker that for the most part, except for, I will say this, I always try to get close to the stage to see what gear they're using. I like to see what pedals and stuff they're using on stage. There's always a, there's always kind of fun in that. Uh, Mickey wants to know if I have a preference between selections and imminent speakers, and if so, why? Um, I don't have a preference, but I use mostly selection speakers because I mostly use V30s or um, uh, some of the Heritage-style speakers, but mostly V30s. V30s are in most of my amps uh, that I own, and the reason is is because I feel like I know what a V30 sounds like. It's it's a, it's a speaker I've had for so long. I've used so many times and I have a lot of speakers. I have some eminence. I have a green back, you know, I have a, stuff in other amps, but I generally will use a vintage 30 as much as I can because I feel like when I hear the vintage 30 in an amp, I know what is the amp and what is the speaker. You know, I'm just in tune with what the speaker does to amplifiers, how much fizz it gives and how much fizz it doesn't. Uh, but what's funny about that is that's a perfect example. That's why it's a great question. It's a perfect example of the habit versus the preference. My habit is to have selections because I've always had selections. But when I look at quality for a dollar, uh, I always think eminence wins. And every time I hear eminence, I'm really impressed. But I just, for some reason, never moved over that way. So I own a couple of eminence speakers. I always love them, but tend to stick with my selections. And I don't know why. It's uh, that's there's there's things and you're going to hear this a lot. You guitar players out there definitely can identify with this. Sometimes you just go with the thing you know. You know what I mean? It's just, it's part of it. It's just, you're comfortable with it. Um, it happens to me all the time. There's a thing I like better, but I'm comfortable with the other things. So I go through it, go with it. Okay. Uh, okay. What else do we got? You guys got a lot of stuff, a lot of questions today. Hold on. Matt wants to know if anyone's had any experience with FU Tone Noiseless Springs. Do they make a difference? I have all the FU uh, Noiseless uh, Springs, uh, Matt, and I used them on one of the videos, I think was the Sharpa Max or the Squire, and I think I used some of those in that. Uh, I do notice a massive difference in the in the noise, in the dampening, and the different, uh, there's different ones. There's yellow ones that are like a little stronger than red ones, and if I'm wrong on the colors, just kind of understand I'm doing this from memory. Uh, but I, I really like them. I was impressed by them and um, I use a bunch of them and, but I also use my, my, my straight up springs that I just shove foam into too as well. But I like the FU tone one. So if you're looking for a recommendation, I would, I would feel cool recommending those two because the ones I have, I like, and uh, I would definitely recommend getting a set of all of them and trying them. Uh, so I was lucky. My buddy, Eric just gave me a set, you know, he gave me like all of them to try and I was able to go through those. And from the ones I like, I started, you know, picking the ones I, I ended up like. And if it helps you guys, I think the ones, well, I, I know which ones I, I use. I use the black ones. And uh, can't give you a rationale on that. Maybe, maybe I don't know. It's the uh, Goldilocks syndrome. It was just not too, you know what I mean? Wasn't too extreme. Wasn't too anything. It was just the right spot. 
So I use the black uh, noiseless springs, but I really would recommend uh, trying them all uh, because they're just powder coated, right? They just paint them, but it's a great idea. And I don't think they're crazy expensive. If they are, somebody let me know, but I thought they were reasonable, maybe not for springs, but you know, to me, if you can buy something for between 15 to $50 uh, and, and that's going to change or and create a great musical experience, it's probably worth it. So Sorry, guys. Gary wants to know, hey, Phil, should I run a time-based effects before the gain uh, pedals if I'm not using the effects loop? Um, yeah, I use, them I use them after the gain pedals. I run my gain pedals definitely before the time-based uh, effects, for sure. Um, now, Gary, this is a great discussion, and here's what it is. Originally, that was not an option to guitar players. You know, you look at guitar players as, as recently as Eddie Van Halen, right? So, I mean, much less talk about when the tape delays kind of start first popping. Those guys didn't have effects loops and stuff, and they weren't really using a lot of gain pedals. They were getting a lot of gain with the amps, and they would run their delays into the amps, uh, into the front end. So, the reason I tell you that is I prefer to have gain than delay in every scenario, but I want you to be aware that there are some amazing magical albums that were recorded with the exact opposite of what I just stated. So nothing is of course a fact. It's just a, you know, kind of a preference. That's my preference, but be, be prepared. You can mess with both. I don't like running my time uh, based effects before my overdrives because I feel it a little wildly. In other words, it's a little, you know, kind of gets a little crazy out there. Um, you know, I always have to make sure they're balanced correctly. Otherwise they get a little out of control. So I like, I feel like I have more control of the sound if I put it in that order. So, uh, Danny wants to know what's the best clean high headroom pedal platform amp. Wow. Uh, you know, best is impossible. I'll just give you a couple. I like obviously in the price range it's affordable. The hot rod deluxe is a fantastic, uh, clean amplifier for pedals. I like the Archon for clean running the pedals. That's the main reason I use the Archon's clean is because it's a great pedal platform. Uh, Almost all the fenders were great. I mean, they're just really transparent cleans. There's amps that I'm not familiar with, like Wampler makes a clean amp that's designed specifically to be a clean headroom amp that takes pedals. I've never tried it, but uh, my friends have tried it, told me it was really impressive and they liked it. So it's good recommendations from my buddies. And uh, But no, there's tons of stuff like that. A lot of amps that are good, good, clean. Uh, rolling amps, if you like solid state stuff, I like the rolling amps too for good, clean headroom if you want to run pedals in front of it. And of course, don't forget some of the Marshall's work, like a Plexi will give you a good clean headroom. Uh, you know, if you want to adjust it correctly so there's no breakup, you can get a lot of headroom out of it. But that's a 100 watt head. Um, Tony wants to know hey, Tony, uh, it says, do you think the increase of new guitar purchases in America are the bedroom players? Okay, he's got a two part question, so we're going to get to this. Uh, or are players buying multiple axes since the cost and quality is so much better? in the past that we can afford it. Well, there's no doubt about this, man. L let me, let me, let me tell you, there's a curve here that's pretty easy to chart and, and understand the biggest part of guitar music, music, you know, is the eighties. It's not the best. That's not what I said. Although somebody's probably going to type that right now. Um, you know, you got the fifties, you know, really the fifties, the sixties, you know, think about modern electric guitar. You got the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, it's all ramping and ramping it up. And it just comes this a uh, giant headway of, of the eighties. And that follows the trend all until, you know, the nineties and guitar music, it just, it just hit huge then. And so if you do them, do that logic, if you follow that, we've seen this now as an industry, those players, the people that were in their early teens <laughs> during the eighties, 
they are adults now and they're the ones who love guitar so they collect them so bedroom players are a huge part and have always been a huge part hobbyists always outweigh uh, uh, actual musicians who who buy gear and hobbyists by nature buy the most expensive gear you know i once I once uh, at the store, we used to do this thing when we, we started first carrying Paul Reed Smith guitars, we'd give six month of lessons with a PRS guitar. And I remember the PRS guys were like, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. But we were killing with that plan. And the main reason was because um, the way we did this was there's a, there was an Intel facility by the shop. And a lot of people, a lot of uh, engineers uh, were like, hey, man, they work all the time. They want to de-stress. So they were taking up hobbies. And one of the hobbies was guitar. They go down there, they, you know, they're making six figures. They don't want to buy a Squire. You know what I mean? They wanted to buy something nice and they bought a PRS. And and uh, it's because to me, what's funny is, and I've had this argument, and that's, this is, we're going to get crazy with this argument because there's a couple things I like to point out. You know, some people buy paintings and put them on their walls. I'd rather hang a, a beautiful guitar than a painting. Some people buy really nice furniture. I'd rather have okay furniture and a really nice guitar. What's funny to me is that's not uncommon. Um, here in town where I live, there was a, uh, there is a dentist here in town and they, they call him the rock and roll dentist. And he decorated the entire place with really nice guitars and guitars and stuff. Um, so you could argue like that's a waste, but to me, it's like there, you have to acknowledge at some point that guitars are tools, but also art. And so to answer your question, I think hobbyists are definitely the biggest market. There's no question about that. And they are doing two things. They're buying tools and art. Um, you know, I make this comment all the time. Some guitars, I, my most expensive, beautiful guitars aren't really the ones I play that often. I like to play them, but I stare at them more, strum them and go, wow, that's really cool. I'm glad I could own this guitar it's fun and it's, it's a nice piece of uh, musical history to own but i'll just grab my strat <laughs> you don't even play that so that's what i think is happening uh, especially in america and uh with with the bedroom players are definitely the, the buying majority the next part of your question was are you know or are they just buying multiple axes well i can tell you right now it, it's not you know you guys all watching I see a lot of comments every day. You know, people are like, oh, I only have one guitar and then, you know, or I only have two guitars. And, and I understand that. And I think that's very practical and pragmatic and it makes a lot of sense. But, but I could tell you from experience of selling guitars for over a decade, the majority of guitar players, um, there's a joke in the industry. Guitar players are serial killers. There's one's not enough. That was the joke that literally the, the, they all have to have more guitars, more guitars, more guitars. I don't think it's uncommon. So yeah, and hobbyists are no different than professional players. In fact, my other logic on that is I think professional players become hobbyists too. I think Joe Bonamassa is an amazing artist and he buys guitars because they're tools, but I think sometimes he's just buying them because it's a hobby as well. I think you could, it could be both. Why can't it be both? So, you know, my, my wife once made a joke. She said, you know, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't buy a Lamborghini. I'd probably buy a thousand cool guitars. Um, I don't think I would, but I can tell you right now, before I'd ever buy a Lamborghini, I'd have some crazy guitar that doesn't make sense. And I'm not saying I would ever buy that crazy guitar, but I'd buy that before a Lamborghini because <laughs> I just don't have any desire to want a sports car. So, um, uh, modwiz125 says, Hey, Phil, are you aware of the new Z master amp? Made for Joe Walsh sounded like a tone mo uh, master. Yeah, I saw the I saw a video online of it. it. Looks cool. Somebody said it was really expensive. I like this Maz uh, 38 so far. Really, really digging it. 
Um, this was a great amp. I went, like I said, I think I told you guys the story. I went to meet somebody to buy an amp on Craigslist. The guy stood me up, but he asked me to meet him at the, at the parking lot of a guitar center. So I went in the guitar center and they had this and I tried it and it was used. And I thought, this is cool. It's got the attenuator built into it or, you know, installed in the back. And, uh, it was fun. I always wanted to kind of try the style of amp and see what it does, you know, uh, for me as a player. And, uh, so far I really, really like it. Um, uh, I don't, I don't say I love it. Um, I like it. I think I like it more than my Fender. Uh, what do I want to say? My Vibrachamp, not my Vibrachamp. What do I want to say? What's the, yeah, Vibrachamp. Okay. So, um, next, next question we have is, oh, wait, Sean Pierce Johnson said, uh, boss katanas are surprisingly good pedal platforms. I agree. Well, that's kind of what I was, uh, Sean, I agree with you and especially, uh, about that, but also that's what I kind of what I was saying when I was saying like Roland to me, roll because boss is just, you know, rebranded Roland product in the idea that it's same company. Right. So, uh, to me, Roland and boss amps have always been the best to me, the best solid state platforms for pedals, which is what I use. Uh, I use Roland cubes. I like them. Uh, that's what I play. If I play a solid state amp, it's usually usually that. Although I'm trying to uh, trying to play more qu uh, quilter products right now because I really like them. Maybe do some reviews of those. See what I think. Love the idea of having an amplifier that only weighs like two pounds. <laughs> On the road says I say most professional players are not so much into gear. Um, most of the professional players that I have uh, had the uh, fortunate of interviewing to me always fall into two categories of either they are not into gear at all, right? Gear is just a tool or, you know, the, the pedals, the amps. Um, so it's, a, it's just not something you think about. Like they think about music first, they think about everything else first. And then this is just, you know, a, a part of the equation. And um, so much so that, um, I've met guitar players and interviewed and talked to them where they couldn't even tell you the name of the guitar they were playing. I've, I've had that experience um, because it didn't matter to them. It was like, I don't know. I just play this guitar and this is the one I have. And um, I think that's true what you're saying. And then I've seen the opposite. I've seen where guitar players, professionals um, are professional guitar players and they're gear freaks, but also like I said, hobbyists too, because I've had those conversations with them and you can tell when you can, you can tell a gear freak because you know, it's where their, their ears perk up in the conversation when, when we talk about, you know I mean? We were talking about, uh, you know, the industry for a while. And then all of a sudden we start talking about like a, a tube screamer pedal and everybody like, you know, Hey, what are we talking about? And they come over. So yeah, I think it's both, you know? Um, but yeah, I, you know, I've, I have definitely, I'm not going to say nothing's quantifiable, but man, if I was going to put my money down on a table for a bet, I feel like the most talented guitar players I've ever met in my life were the least gear oriented players. So, which is why I always say I had a joke once and I used Robert Baker. If you guys know his channel, I used him as the analogy. I don't know if I used it to telling him or somebody else, but either way, I, I think it's great. I think I told Robert this. Um, I tell everybody, I said, everybody collects something to some degree. And uh, Robert Baker to me is one of the, the, the players that collects riffs. He, you know, you can collect riffs, you can correct, collect knowledge. He collects musical knowledge. I mean, he's into gear, but not close to like music. So to him, it's more music based than it is gear based. And so he collects more music theory, more music knowledge. I think that's cool. So, um, and the reason I think that's, and here's why that's great. And I want to point this out because I'm sure some of you guys are kind of chewing this up right now. Think about this. 
Some people, uh, players, will buy an amp and a guitar and then spend their life learning everything they can about music. And some players will learn what they, you know, and so in that, in that story, in that analogy, that player is the gear is good enough. They got a piece of gear. It's good enough. Now let's learn more music. And some people will learn music and they'll go, okay, this is enough music theory. And now they're going to use more gear. Right. And I think it's funny. Everybody always tries to pit those together as a wrong or right answer. It's just different. Everybody's different. Okay. Uh, a cause, I don't know. Kaze, I messed up the name. Sorry. Uh, says, I watched you talk about this Fender Super Champ X2. I have 45 guitars and a few amps. I have found one in excellent shape on Craigslist for $250, and I'm loving it. Thanks for recommending it. Yeah, it's still my favorite uh, amp in the price range is the Super Champ X2 by far. Um, and that amp is funny to me because I think the amp is fantastic. I, I think a lot of people agree. And then some people are like, I don't like it. But I, I think part of that is, um, I think uh, it does a lot of sounds like in the, like to me on that knob, when you're rotating the knob, like all the, the number 12, 13, 14, 15, those fizzy distortion metal sounds. Um, that's not what I like. I like, num so, you know, on the super champ, if it helps X2, I love number six. I set it to six, little reverb delay. I put the gain around two or three. Man, I'm just in heaven with that tone. So there you go. Uh, Free Angel wants to know if I've ever tried the blue guitar amp. I have not. I have not. I am so jazzed about that product. The problem is, is it's $800 and it's one of those things. The only way I can try is if I buy it. Um, so I've been trying to decide, you know, that's a purchase where if you buy it, you gotta, you know, yeah, I gotta need it. You know what I mean? It's like, um, but I it's, it's, it's really been an, a product I've been on the radar. So I want to try one, you know? And so I'm hoping this year I'm in a situation where I get to try one. Uh, it won't be, unfortunately get to send to me at home, but I think I'm going to be somewhere where I get to try it. And if that's the case, I'll check it out. Um, because I think if I like it, cause to me, if I buy the blue guitar amp, uh, everybody, so you know what free angels talking about, there's a hundred watt, it's a hundred watt amplifier with little tube preamps and it goes on the floor. It's like the size of a preamp pedal. You know what I mean? From like carbon and, um, it's really cool. But to me, it's like that you would buy that to get and get rid of an amp. So, so I want to try it out because if I like it, I'll definitely get it. And then I'll, uh, what do you call it? I'll, uh, I'll replace an amp with it. And, uh, and on that note with amps, you know, I said, <laughs> never say never. I said this year, starting this year, I was like, I'm done with amps. I don't need any more amps. And then the first thing I did was buy two amps this year. I bought that Fender and then this Dr. Z. And uh, amps are definitely things when I buy them, something has to go. So something goes every time an amp comes in. This is, this is you know, real estate. I don't have that much real estate to give to these amps and stuff. So I try to push it as far as I can. And uh, there you go. Um, I gotta do it. C C base says, are you investing in cryptocurrencies? No, <laughs> no. Um, I know that's a thing, right? I don't know. All right. Um, uh, and then this is, I'm going to go to another question real quick. Uh, in Bain official says, have you checked out synergy amps? I have not checked out synergy amps at all 
uh, I haven't tried any of them once, so I don't know anything about them. Although I, I, I say that, keep in mind, I am 90% sure that they're repackaged Eggnator product, right? It's just all the Eggnator preamps repackaged as Synergy. I don't know that to be sure. That's what it comes across as. They, you know, they kind of re redid that that platform. So if that is true, then I've definitely played them all because I've I played all the Eggnator stuff. I used to have some Eggnator stuff, and then I, I definitely had all the Randall stuff, which the Randall stuff is a licensed Eggnator stuff. So uh, it was only one channel, you know, modules versus the two channels that the Synergy and the Eggnator is. But either way, love that stuff, uh, you know. And um, so it leads me to believe that if it is that same stuff, I'd like it. That's a definitely the the synergy thing is an interesting thing because it falls into a category like the Ignator modules. At the time when those came out, I wasn't looking for that solution in my life. That was like oh, 10 years ago. Okay. I wasn't looking for a modular solution, right? At that time, I can tell you right now, when I owned my Ignator modules, I had two amplifiers personally. And that was one of them. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I need all these amps. Now that I've had so many amps and tried so many amps, I would definitely like the idea of a uh, something like that, like get those and just maybe not have all this stuff. Um, because like I said, this, you know, it takes up a lot of room and it's a lot of money invested in it. So, okay. That, uh, just want to say thank you real quick to BK. He just did a tip jar. So did Robert Davidson. I appreciate you guys. Um, Next thought, our next one is from, uh, I'm going to say, come on, I'm, I'm horrible at what names, Karsten, Karsten, Karsten Bogstrand says, thoughts on the Line 6 HD 147. I love it when you guys give me like the nomenclature stuff because I don't know. So let's look. Um, so I know what it's looking at. Oh, yeah, well, that's old school, man. That's uh, the old amplifier. Um, I don't think I've ever played this amplifier. Uh, I want to share with you guys. If you guys are uh, listening to this, uh, the repost of the podcast, it's the uh, Line 6 amplifier. It was early stuff. I think this is before predates uh, Spider Valve or around that stuff. It had the, uh, it had the chrome look to it, very... This is definitely when Mesa Boogie was very hip and cool. Um, I've never tried this particular product, or if I have, it's been so long, I just don't remember. So, uh, what's so that's you know, I can't give you in input on that. However, what I can tell you was, um, I was always a fan of the Line 6 stuff when it came out, but I don't know, you know, those are some of those products like crate amplifiers. If you go back and listen to them, is it gonna, it's gonna be what you remembered, or is it gonna be worse or better? Um, And then Matt, just real quick, wants to know if there's some decent uh, money pickups to upgrade to his 89 HSS Squire Strat. You know, if you're going to upgrade a Squire Strat, and uh, this is something that um, we've talked about before, uh, on guitars like that, I would definitely buy one of those preloaded pick guards that has everything in it and just drop that into your Squire, play it, enjoy it, and then when you sell your Squire, if you sell your Squire, yank out the pick guard and put the... Uh, put the original pick card in there and sell it out. And then that's, there's a ton of that stuff. I mean, there's great options from Seymour Duncan and DiMaggio, um, Lace, you know, there's, uh, uh, you can even get Fender options. You can get like some Tim Shaw humbucker with uh, two single coil pickups. Really cool stuff. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, 
Hold on. I just saw I'm laughing because I saw Brian put poor Nickelback. They always take such a beating. So I don't know what you guys are saying about Nickelback, but it was so Nickelback. You know what I want to say about Nickelback? You ever think about Nickelback in this in this logic? You know, uh, everybody seems to they're like the winger of the late 90s. In other words, they became the the joke uh, band that everybody's fun of. But they are huge. They sold huge amount of albums. And isn't the singer like married to Avril Lavigne? I mean, it's like a interesting, interesting thing. You always wonder, like, it's funny that they were the ones that get pigeonholed as being, you know, everybody hates them and makes funny everything. But they're so. <laughs> Brian said, "No, Winger did suck." And you know, that's tough. Everything's tough to say that stuff. Nothing's quantifiable. I'm not a Winger fan, although I was a Red Beach fan, so. Uh, how that works out, I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's true with a lot of bands. There's bands where I'm huge fans of people in the bands way more than the band itself. I think that's a very common thing, I think. So, see, On the Road said Nickelback was good. Well, On the Road, I, I hope you live through this, uh, through the comment section. They People tend to like to really tear into them. Yeah, Mads green with me. Red Beach was crazy good. Oh, yeah, of course. So, you know, there was a lot of great players. Well, I think Kip, isn't Kip Winger? He was like the bass player for Alice Cooper, right? Hold on. And I love it. I lost my pen screen. Give me one second, guys. Hold on. And then while I'm doing that, while that's uploading... Uh, C, C base wants to know, is there really a tone difference on a hand wired tube screamer? You know, <laughs> the answer to the question is the answer to every question with that stuff to me is always going to be, yes, there's always a difference. There's always a difference in my mind, right? Um, is there a difference between a hand wired amp and a, and a, and a, you know, and a, and a circuit board amp? Is there a difference between, uh, you know, a mahogany guitar and a maple guitar? I think the answer should always be yes. I think that's an, a, a more sane way to look at things. The answer is yes. But then let's argue the percentage, right? I think that's a great argument. It's a great way to have a musical argument. Uh, you know, how, okay, is a hand-wired tube screamer, uh, you know, you, you, you know, is it better than a regular tube screamer? no is it different yeah it's different but is it better let's what if i said yes one percent better what if i said ten percent better but that doesn't equate to the price point being three times as much money or four times as much money and that's really where i kind of fall into line with a lot of stuff when somebody says uh you know this guitar is much different than the other one sometimes they go well it's different i don't know if it's much different some things are much different so so to me with tube screamers a lot of them are are really uh a lot of like and here's what i'm curious about the vimuram if you guys seen this you know now there's a vimuram uh tube screamer and um what's interesting about that is it's 450 dollars. and when i got saw that at the nam show i was like i making the face i just made now <laughs> in fact i was making the face like uh because i was just thinking about it when i saw it at the nam show i go 450 dollar tube screamer what in the world could make a tube screamer 450 bucks and then i uh i heard it and i thought man that sounds fantastic does it hear does it sound 450 bucks i don't know but it sounded fantastic 
boy, was that a great sounding pedal. Like I remember as soon as I heard it, I thought that's a sound I would love to have. Um, but see, here's, what's great. And this is why I said, I like a, a, the argument that I like to have about the differences. Things are different. Let's say I, I say, well, is the Vimy Ram different tube screamer better or different than a regular tube screamer? And I say, yes. How much better? Well, it's a little better, but it's a lot more money. But that means once you acknowledge that it's different or it's better, then that means you can find something that is better, but not more expensive. Does that make sense? I think that makes more, more sense in my mind. There's a lot of pedals. Like I was playing a pedal this week and I really liked it, but it was expensive. And so it made me wonder if there was one that's like it, that's less expensive. And through messing with it, I found one that was basically the same sound almost and not as expensive. So, okay. Uh, hold on. Now I have my screen back. Sometimes when I show you guys screenshots of stuff, it moves. It moves back in the weirdest way. Um, the question I have now. Oh, uh, okay. There's a couple of interesting ones here. Okay. So Neil's got a question. Neil's question is, uh, hey, Phil, can you explain scale length? I have a Mexican Strat and a PRSSE Custom 24. Okay. So... All right. So first of all, the Mexican strat should be 25 and a half and the SE custom 24 should be 25. Even I think the SEs are the same scale length as core. Uh, I down tune to play Nickelback. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and we knew it was coming. Uh, song uh, is tuned. So it's B, uh, right. Okay. So it's, so it's B to C is what it looks like. Uh, uh, so the E string on the strat seemed to be loose, but on the PRS it was, uh, wait, hold on. I, sorry guys, this is jumbled, but I want to make sure I got it. So he's basically saying on the strat, it seemed too loose, but it was okay on the PRS. Great. This is a great subject to talk about, um, because this is a perfect example. So where he's going with this guys is he's saying, Hey, look, I down tune these two guitars. And I'm assuming for the sake of the argument, you use the same gauge of strings on both guitars. And uh, and and on the guitar that was 25 and a half, the longer scale, which technically should have a tighter feel, it was looser than it was on the PRS. Um, this is uh, such a great phenomenon that is really common with very uh, professional musicians talk about this all the time, the feel of a string. I have found this to be 100% true in the idea that you can hand me two strats, two, two identical Stratocasters, two identical sets of strings, set them up by the same person, but one feels a little stiffer than the others. And we'll go, okay, what's the springs? And you make all the adjustments, but for some reason, the feel never feels exactly right. Some guitars just tend to give a little differently. And I believe there's some really interesting factors in this. One of them is not the, the, the bend of the string is not just the tension. It is how the neck moves. It is how the body reacts. It is scale length. It is everything in play. But yes, I, I agree. Here's a good example, Neil. I'll tell you a good one. Um, my uh, I have a, a PRS SE7 string guitar with a hardtail bridge. 
It is 25 inches, uh, you know, 25 inch scale or, and flat. And my Ibanez seven string is 25 and a half inch scale. And yes, I agree with you. It feels tighter. Strings feel tighter on my PRS. So there is something more to that scenario than construction. And I think when you try and just do it using, uh, you know, the analytics of it, I think you will always get caught up in the frustration because here's why. And this is where sometimes uh, overthinking things will really lead you down the wrong rabbit hole. If you try to plot out using science and math, which are very, very important, a thing that relates to feel, I think you'll become frustrated. And here's what I mean by that. You could say all day long, you can quantify the scale length and the, and the strings and the tension. You can get in you know, pounds per square inch. You can get into every detail of every situation. But at the end of the day, you're talking, you personally, we're talking about how it feels. I can even tell you that when we put it on a, you know, a machine that actually you're wrong, that they're exactly the opposite, that the Strat has actually physically more tension than the PRS. But again, I, if I'm using science and math to explain how you feel, it's never going to work that way. So that's the part of guitars that are tricky because sometimes it's more than just that. It's just the feel of it. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of us have uh, can relate to being frustrated when you find that guitar that feels great, but there's something about it. maybe the color you don't like or something silly. You go, okay, I'll just get another one in a different color. And that, you, no matter what you do, you can never get that feeling back in that guitar. So yeah. Um, so I've had the same experience, Neil. You're in good company or bad company, depending on how you look at it. So um so there you go. Uh, Flying Hawaiian says, how good is the Freeman Runt 20s direct out? I only have an interface software and monitors. I live in an apartment, so I don't have uh, space for a cab. Would you still recommend it in that context? Um, yeah, I'm going to put a link when I do the index to uh, my buddy buddy's channel. And he did a review of that amp, the Freeman Runt 20, and he used it as a direct recording interface, and it sounds fantastic and it's big hairy guitars so uh i will put his uh information or his link to his video and um it sounds fantastic so that at least give you an option of what he can do i mean he's a he's a studio he's a, he's a producer engineer guy he's definitely very savvy when it comes to recording so that might put him out of our league but at least if you can see he can do it you know it can be done i think it can be done uh really well um i've been really happy with the run 20s direct out so in fact, I think I said this before. I was just talking about this. I, I like my Runt 20 uh, a lot um, still. It's one, one of the amps that's stuck the longest with me, and I like it um, so much so that I have not, even though I preferred my JC100 over my uh, Silver Jubilee, which I both like both, but I think I preferred that one. I preferred the Runt over that. It was very depressing to think of it that way, right? I was like, okay, I like the Silver Jubilee, but I like the 800 more, but I like the Runt more than the 800, which means I like the Runt more than both. Um. Okay, Bruce wants to know, uh, said he's been doing some fret dressing. Um, I like, because he likes the frets rounded off. Uh, do rounded frets have any adverse effects? Um, yeah, you can round a fret off. And when he's talking about the edge of a fret, you can round it off. And sometimes if you get too crazy with that, some players will complain when they do bends. If players pull down, like on the high string, high string, why you would pull down, I don't know. But if you pull down, it'll slip off the neck. And on the low E string, if you push up to high a little bit, it'll fall off the neck because it kind of jumps over the edge because the rounded frets are a little too shallow. So uh, I've never experienced that, but I've had clients tell me, you know, hey, it's uh, you know, I, if it's too too rounded off, too too narrow. It doesn't feel right. So just be aware of that. Um, I don't think you'll have any problems, but yes, you can do that. You can uh, round off a fret and make it a little tricky. Uh, 
Water Waterford Giant just said you demand. Well, you demand Waterford Giant. I appreciate that. And then Bruce says, uh, what do you think of, ro of rolling the fingerboard? I love rolling. He's talking about the edges of the fingerboard rolled up. I don't like the fretboard when it's sharp. Uh, I like it when it's rolled. And it, most of the guitars I have are rolled fingerboards. And if they're not, I will do it myself with uh, sandpaper. Uh, you know what I mean? I'll just craft it and do it really nice, kind of roll it over. So, uh, okay, what else do we got? I like these. Some of these questions are fun. This is for it feels more community today. Like the more the questions are centered around, you know, just issues and stuff you have, and less, less, less about the politics of the week, which is a nice, nice little break. Um. Okay, so uh, what else do we guys got? Um. There's a question right here. It says. Uh, Juan wants to know, Phil, thoughts on the Squire Contemporary Strat considering trading my LTD EC401 for one. I have a Contemporary Strat. Mine is uh, red. I did a review of it. I still have it. Uh, I like it. I wish I picked the white one or the blue one, <laughs> and I didn't. I picked the red one. And uh, so I was going to sell the red one and get the white one or the blue one, and it didn't work out that way, so I just kept the red one. But um, still like them. There's still uh, a lot. Um I like the e e LTD EC uh, 401, man. So, but here's the thing. Like I said, I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell you what I would do. I, I would get this contemporary because that's what I have. I have it over the EC 401. It's a great guitar. It really was one of the first guitars. Uh, I mean, there were some others before that, but it was really one of the first guitars that really started changing my mind about Squire. Really make me think like maybe Squire's a thing. And now I think Squires are becoming like their own, you know, I watched some people put comments that, you know, like no matter what a Squire does, it'll never be a Fender. And I'm like, you know, what's funny about that is it's almost like a, the Squire is becoming its own brand identity in the idea that it's like unpretentious, right? It's like, I have a Squire because, you know, because before if you had a Squire, it was because you didn't have the money to have a Fender. But I see players now making conscious decisions to play the Squires because they're really good. I can see that. Uh, what else do we got? How are we doing on time? We still have like five, ten minutes. Oh, Rex is saying the early Korean Squires were great. Yeah, of course. But I like the new Indonesian stuff. Indonesian guitars are really getting impressive. In fact, so much so that you guys are probably aware of this, that I, uh, my Schecter, my Korean-made Schecter that I liked, I sold it uh, because I have my Indonesian-made Solar guitar. So I went Indonesian, so which shocked me, so you know, to no end. I sat there the, the night I made the decision to get the to get rid of the Schecter and keep the Solar. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, I can't believe I picked a, uh, an Indonesian guitar over a Korean guitar. So, but you know, it's not the first time something like that happened. I've picked a Japanese guitar over an American guitar before too. So you, you know, it's a, that was a long time ago. That was like you know, two hundred and fifty thousand years ago <laughs> when I did that. Okay. Uh, Peter wants to know if I saw the Anderton's Gibson versus Epiphone video. I've seen a bunch. If they've done a recent one, I haven't seen it this week. I was too busy doing stuff. This was a busy week for me. So. And then XD 
Arnox, <laughs> whatever. Sorry, XD. Uh, it says, have you ever tried Reverend Railhammer pickups? I haven't. Uh, unless they were just in a Reverend, I tried. There is no Reverend guitar main, you know, dealers by me uh, by any means. I picked up a few used Reverends here and there. And at the NAM show, there's really nothing you can pick up and really understand uh, with Reverend. Um, so Reverend is definitely a brand that I have a lot of respect for. And I like the idea of them. But I mean, just, you know, it's hard to buy guitars that you're not familiar with. In fact, I think, you know, this is a funny conversation. Side note, something we had, uh, me and my buddy had this week, a conversation about the fact that a lot of times you find yourself now when you buy guitars online, buying the guitars you already have because you're familiar with them. It's hard to buy the guitars you have no reference of. And I said, you know, that's a perfect example. Sometimes the last thing I want in the world is another Paul Reed Smith guitar because I have some and I'm happy, you know, I, I, I want something different. But then when you spend time online and you're like, uh, you, you kind of like, well, I know what this guitar is going to feel like. I know I am familiar with it. And I, you know, and so it's hard to buy outside the realm too far when you have no idea what's going on. Um, Bruce wants to know, would you ever teach lessons via Skype? I wouldn't, unfortunately, because it would probably be a nightmare for whoever was on the other side of it because of the fact my schedule is so fluid is what I like to call it. Um, uh, you know what I mean? My days are cut up in sections of the day and it gets a little crazy to to lock anything I do down. YouTube takes up a chunk of it. Uh, obviously, the other avenues, the other businesses I run take up other things. I mean, I stay really busy. <laughs> So I laugh. I'm always laughing like a cry because this week was a definitely a heavy week for me. Um, so you, I stay pretty busy. I would love to, by the way, so you know. Uh, so uh, in the long-term goal would be to do something just like, just do that. Just interact with smaller, you know, smaller communities and then do one-on-one -on -one stuff. Larry Mitchell. What's up, Larry? He says, you should get a Nags guitar. Well, I'm working on that. I'm, I remember we talked about me going and, checking them out and stuff trust me uh that's a guitar i would love love i love larry's guitar by the way <laughs> you let me play it that really has messed me up because it was a great guitar um the i'm trying to get in fact somebody asked me this week about the gnl review what's the deal with that uh and uh you know we talked about last week and we talked and somebody asked me why i didn't release it it's done because it was unboxing and i wanted to finish it out as a review unboxing slash review um the the, the easy part i'm going to tell you is i like the guitar somebody and the reason i'm bringing this up is because somebody mentioned on a video this week they said oh you didn't do the video and your tone last week sound like you didn't like it i i love the gnl guitar there's no exaggeration there. I love it. Um, it's it's one of the best. In fact, I can prove to you uh, how crazy I love it. I already bought another GNL. In fact, I'm not going to show them to you, but to my left right now are two GNLs. So I got one, and then I bought another one already, and I got it. The problem is there's something about the GNL that was, uh, was there was a miscommunication in the specifications when we ordered it, and so something is not uh, the way I. I wanted it. And so uh, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to address that in the video because it needs to be important that you guys understand that the guitar is like great, but you know, there's something off on it. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably release that uh, ASAP because I want it out, but I want it to be right. So the video to be right, but no, I like the GNLs, man. I, <laughs> like I said, as soon as I got that one, I was like, Oh yeah, this is it. Um, it's probably the best sounding playing guitar out of all my guitars in this room. Well, actually, I'm saying that I'm I, I, I'm 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 kind of cheating. I already know it is because me and my buddy Matt spent a couple hours this week trying all the guitars, and we came to the conclusion that the the Gino was the best one. Um, 
But yes, a Nags guitar is definitely a guitar I want really, really, really bad. Okay. Um, Queen Finger says, seems like all the Asian guitars are going up. Absolutely. Uh, that's something I noticed at NAMM. Uh, th that is for sure. Plus, you have to understand that the industry is doing really well as a whole right now, sales-wise. Uh, you know, whether that's the economy or whatever. I hate to speak about that stuff because, uh, you know, everybody's going to have different perceptions of that. Um, uh, but whether whether whatever's perception is the truth is this most of the high-end guitar companies like prs and uh and fender and gibson and uh and uh and um what do you call it like sir guitars and stuff they're pretty busy you know i, mean, I don't want to say you know if somebody's like oh well they're not doing great or they're doing great well that's up to them managing their businesses whether or not they're doing good or bad but sales wise they are moving product there's a lot of product being moved more than i i'm always shocked at the numbers that i hear when i talk to companies about the numbers that they're producing at this point Okay, so let's stay, get back on focus. Uh, Jacob King says, Phil, thanks uh, for your videos. Help me work on my guitars. Inspire me to switch to guitar from bass and build a guitar. Build, build oh, sorry. He switched to guitar from bass. Uh, and uh, he built guitar pedals, second guitar lesson tomorrow. That's awesome. Um, I'm still doing that amp thing right now. I hope you guys like the, uh, the, uh, is it with the uh, shellac video? I enjoyed that video. It was actually a fun video. So, <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, the is Shinri you kid? Oh man, that's it. I give up. <laughs> it says I broke off a drill bit in my Les Paul trad strap buttonhole trying to uh, fit Dunlop strap blocks. Should have repaired myself or bring it into a shop. Okay, so um, I have done many of those. So, you know, many, many of those. Um, I have, uh, there's taps, you know, you can tap it yeah, into the screw sometimes. Sometimes you're lucky because I have all kinds of different shaped vice grips. And sometimes I can use a, a little Dremel tool and cut on that a little bit and then get vice grips like needle nose vice grips and stuff to grab in there and kind of twist it out and go slow. It's definitely slow and steady way wins the race when it comes to breaking off a screw into a piece of wood like a strap where a strap button is and stuff, okay? The reason I tell you that is, um, I, I, it should not cost a lot. It's not a costly repair and it shouldn't. So one, it shouldn't cost a lot and two, it shouldn't take a long while. And, but also make sure you take it to a quality person, um, uh, quality tech. But the what, reason I'm going to suggest this to you is this, if you make it worse, it's just going to cost more to have it fixed. You know, I, I'm just going to tell you because uh, I want to speak for the potential tech you're going to be talking to. Sometimes when people bring me guitars with that problem in the past, I can tell you right now, I look at it and go, man, I wish you would have brought it straight to me because straight to me was like a 10 minute fix. Now I'm going to spend the whole afternoon trying to figure this out. Um, but no, it's an easy thing to do, um, especially if they have the tools. And then so I always tell everybody this. That it's more important that you when you take it to whoever you take it to repair, make sure you ask the right questions. Ask them, have they ever done this before? Uh, have they ever had this situation with this type of guitar before? If so, how did they fix it? What are they going to use? Be inquisitive. Um, if they don't tell you or if they don't know or if the person goes, I don't know, you'd have to talk to the person they're not here. Well, then maybe not leave your instrument with them if you don't trust them. But I would take it in for service. Um, and if you do, I would really like it if you would uh, come back on the chat or send me to ask new your gear, uh, the answer of what it costs and, you know, in your area. And then something we can discuss future wise. And on that note, I want to tell you something else that's happened. I want to thank one of the viewers. I want to thank Ryan. Um, 
Ryan was so when we talked a couple weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, we talked about Pedal Genie. You guys remember Pedal Genie? That was the place where you can rent pedals uh, and check them out. Ryan was kind enough to set up an account and rent some pedals from Pet uh, Pedal Genie and send us uh, like up to date information on what it was like. And he, uh, so I want to share with you some of the things he he this this is a truly independent review. Like I have no connection to Pedal Genie. He obviously is just a customer and he's just giving you a customer review, but he's one of our community. So I thought it was nice of him to do it and share it with us because I was curious too. And um, what he basically said was he thought the service is great. Um, he says it seems to be ran by a single person or a small group of people uh, that are able to answer more complex questions when you have a problem. And so I love that when he said that, I thought that was a great way to explain that. So in other words, what he's saying is you're not going to get a customer service rep. You get somebody who's, who's in charge and somebody who's obviously uh you know knows what's going on um so he said uh let's see so he goes and so they can answer questions like complex questions like when you have a problem and uh and and you're and they're able to also take requests for pedals that aren't even available and that's something i guys i, I kind of mentioned to you you know if you guys think about doing pedal genie if that's something you think about doing uh definitely if you wouldn't mind i usually don't solicit too much stuff or stuff at all but i think if you guys could remember the small builders like lawrence petros or taurus pedals or pedal pal effects or uh you know those guys remember those guys mention a pedal genie they should carry these small guys you know a lot of you guys talk about lawrence petros pedals a lot or uh pedal pal effects uh pedals and you're like hey they're kind of expensive and you know you know you watch some reviews well it would be nice if you could rent some of those i think renting those is more important than renting an mxr pedal it doesn't make any sense um and then he uh, he also went on to say that until he narrowed down his list to the nicer, more expensive pedals, um, he said he could have gotten a lot of guitar the pedals from Guitar Center. Um, so basically, uh, you know, that was the end of it. Now he 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 decided to go digital is what he said, <laughs> uh, and he's going to go that way. But um, what was nice was overall he enjoyed the uh, the 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 product, uh, which is Pedal Genie, and it was nice to hear some insight, especially since I never talked to anyone who tried it except for, you know, like I said, just in passing. So uh, guys, do with that. I'll, I'll, pu I'll put it index this video later. I'll put it index uh, timestamp. I'll put Pedal Genie. Speaking of which, I'd like to point out something that happened last week. I mentioned last week we were 30 minutes late because YouTube changed the creator page, you know, and how I set up the live show. One of the things that got changed in the creator page was in when you do these shows, you get to insert your commercials. I put commercials in here, right? You just go, okay, how many commercial one? I usually put two. I usually put one for every 30 minutes. So if it's an hour and a half show, it's three commercials you know not exactly at the 30 minute mark that's not what i meant just one every 30 minutes it took that option away from me and just said do you want commercial in the middle and some of you guys actually sent me emails and i appreciate you guys doing that it was really great i love it when the community looks out for everybody especially for me i think they put so i would usually put two in this one hour show youtube put like 16 or eight i don't know it was an insane number and they were all slammed at the beginning so last week we saw a lot of commercials over and over and over again when you first start watching the live show that was because youtube did that i luckily thank goodness for youtube did one thing right they have a feature where i can go into the old creator page and that's what i did and i removed all those commercials but that brought on something really interesting and i know this is kind of uh, boring but it's just important to know i have decided that what i'm going to do because the other th part of that that stunk was as much as i had a dis love or did not like how youtube put that many commercials in there it was a huge difference in revenue of that video the way youtube did it versus the way i did it i'm never going to put that many commercials in a live show but what i'm going to do from now on is from now on 
on the live shows uh, in the first 24 hours, which means until, so it's three o'clock on Friday till three o'clock on Saturday, we'll only have two commercials. And then after that, it's going to go to four commercials. So if you guys watch it later in the week, I'm sorry, you're going to get two extra commercials. Uh, so, and that's the compromise because I'm not going to put the eight or 16 that YouTube recommended. That's crazy. And I'm not even saying I'll do four, but I'm just saying that's something we're playing with. Um, yeah, Brian says the show starts with a commercial. Well, that's the point. It starts with a commercial, and then you insert them in through the out the, the show. So it's crazy. All right. Um, sometimes it's important to do those updates. Um, another question we got was, uh, uh, I'm going to have to just start making up names. You know what I should do is make up names based on the thumbnails. I'm going to say Mayakon. Mayakon says, Phil, did you try the Waza tube experience? Bender, uh, if you have, how is that compared to the ox? I haven't tried it. So, uh, I have not tried it at all. Uh, didn't even get to see it at the show. So I have no experience of it whatsoever, buddy. Um, I, I know me, I, everybody says the ox is awesome. Same thing. I, I don't have the ox. I have my, uh, Reverend, uh, th that I'm not my Reverend. I'm sorry. My Rivera rock crusher that I like. I'm happy with it. Uh, everybody who I really trust their opinion has told me the ox is better than the, or the rock crusher, but I'm happy with my rock crusher. So that's, that's a tough thing, right? You guys know it's like, I'm happy with it. I think I paid three fifty for the rock crusher used, maybe paid 400, but three fifty to 400 used have it, love it. It's hard to sell something you like to get something you might like a little bit more when the thing you like a little bit more is like almost a thousand dollars more where it's like 1200 bucks. So it's a lot. So I'm, I'm okay with right now. Um, and, uh, Dr. 33 mirror says, Hey, Phil, love the channel. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Says I want to change the pickups on my Epiphone G 400. You know, that's my favorite SG, uh, Epiphone is the G 400. I was thinking of installing P 90 rails, uh, from Seymour uh, Duncan, any suggestion on pickups that would complement both jazz and blues? I think you're on the right track, man. That's the way I would do it. But also keep in mind, you can get those really cool Seymour uh, Duncan pickup frames for those for those P rails, and um, I would lo seriously look at that option. Um, I know it's going to be tough because the the SG has a pick guard, but you can actually insert those uh, pickup frames on top of the pick guard. Something to think about. It works pretty easy. I've done it. It looks it looks fine doesn't look that weird it looks a little moddy modified you know right like kind of mod modified but something like that but yeah definitely like those pickups and then james williams says how do you feel about yamaha uh, uh revstar series um you know the that's a good question <laughs> he said there he said the uh the funny word which is feel about it let's look take a look um Cause I, you know, it's funny was I was just watching a line six video and that's what they were using to demonstrate the live six. I'm curious how much they are. They're only, so they're like 700 to a thousand dollars. Um, they look really cool because they look like the type of guitar I like. I really like that. Like my mirror, my PRS mirror and like the Fano guitars. It looks, I'm going to share with you guys real quick before we go. This is what he's talking about, right? Um, like I said, there's a blue one. That's just beautiful. This one's like a gold and copper. Love the guitars. I'm sure they're probably made in Indonesia, right? Does it say, doesn't say, can we get a zoom in on that? Nope. No one's going to tell us where it's made. Um, but for that price, that's what I'm imagining it is. I I'm a fan of that style of guitar. So let me click that. So to ask you, uh, I've never tried one, but love the, uh, Love the way it looks, if that helps. Let you guys go. <laughs>
<laughs> right. Uh, you guys, awesome. Thank you for hanging out with me this week. We were able to talk about a bunch of stuff and uh, and uh, we were able to, uh, to to cover a lot of questions. Uh, I want to do a quick shout out for the, the crew that makes this happen every week. And uh, let me do that real quick. And uh, that's Jeff, uh, Jeff Howe, Zachary Michael Newman, Bruce in the Saltwater Whiskey Band, Hannah Gunson, John Jex, Michael Shy, Justin Mabe, David Madison, and uh, Andrew Good, Andy Dennis, Anthony Desposito, Billy Robinson, Bob Crosley, Bob Pickwode, Brian Stewart, Carlos Partillo, Chuck Keen, Chief Squatch. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> he sent me an email and I got confused. I'm pretty sure Chief, Chief Squatch. I hope I'm saying it right. If I'm not, I'm going to keep saying it until I get it right. Uh, Chris from New Mexico, Chris Glaze, Craig Parker, Dave Reese, Dennis Prescott, Aaron Kimmicker, Gary Marshall, Greg Peterson, John uh, Spacek, James Biles, Joe Watson, John Russell, Jonathan Pickering, Joseph McCarthy, Kermit Jackson, Larry Colquin, Lawrence Petros, Lonnie Hoke, Michael Lidner, Muse Guitarist, Paul Ostreich, Louis and Elvero from Pedal Pal Effects, Ricky Robson, Robert Hodges, Sam Orem, Scott Tompkins, Steve Hogan, Tom, Tim Camacho, not Tom, Tim, man. Good old Tim. Tim Camacho, Tim Farnsworth, Todd Flowers, and Zesty Basil Pizza. It's a list. It's a long list, but it's my list, and I'm happy to have it, and I'm happy you guys uh, take care of me every week and make the show happen. Thank you guys for hanging out, and uh, I have to get the timestamp in this thing for you guys. And as always, until next week, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, know your gear.